I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, the Rover's Choice, and this is another round of podcasts. And have you been listening all fall? All fall, we're talking about the stories of the people. But now we're getting into some of the technical technical side of things and learning about how to coach a stroke, how to coach a team, how to find coaches, how to build a rowing program, how to build a culture of rowing program. And here we have someone that's been doing this a long time. We're not talking about her age. She has children, okay? But this is really important because I think there's a lost generation. I think after this group of people, right? So, so of a certain age group, there's a big drop off of coaches out there who know what the hell they're talking about, okay? And now we're using this podcast, we're using this platform to help educate those people out there. And I have Beth Anderson. You may not have heard of her. I have, she's been in the business a long time. She's, a, she's the executive director of NorCal Rowing on the West Coast. She knows what she's talking about. And today we're gonna to be getting into finding the right coach, how important it is to educate and develop your coaching staff. But before we do that, I have a really important question. Beth, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great. I'm, I'm excited. So Beth, you were on our first pod, our first round of like getting into content and that was coaches yelling. And that was a lot of fun. That was back in the pandemic time. So now we're two years removed, uh, about 19 months since you and I last talked. But at the time I didn't ask you this question. And, and this is how old were you and where were you when you took that first rowing stroke? Um, so I grew up in ski areas. There's not a lot of rowing in ski areas. Um, I grew up in Squaw Valley, Sun Valley, and the French Alps. So when I first took my first stroke, it was because my stepfather, who was at the time my mother's boyfriend, um, told my mom that we probably shouldn't ski all day and take hot tubs after, after skiing and then get up and do it all again. We should probably go to school. So he moved us down to the peninsula and put us in private school um, in Menlo Park for two years. Where, quite where, where, where is this? Where, where, like, where, like, where is this? All, all California, all California. So Menlo Park is in the middle of what they call now Silicon Valley. Okay. Right. So down just south of San Francisco and Squaw Valley is in the uh, Sierra Nevada mountains. Sun Valley is obviously in Idaho. Most people have heard of it. And the French Alps are, you know, across the pond somewhere. So um, my mom was a bit of a free spirit. So I was not raised to, um, you know, settle down and have a family and relax. I was raised to go all the time. So, so wait a minute. So hold on. So you're skiing, you're doing these wild experiences. Like how old were you? Like, were you going to school? Like, were you going to like a, like a standard school or, or no? Like, you Oh just... yeah. My mom, when she took us to France or she had no plans, she, she, and my dad got divorced. They, she sold the house, had money, thought great time to take my brothers who were then in high school to Europe to learn a foreign language. So she just packed the four of us. I have three brothers and packed us up, took us to Europe bought a VW bus, had tickets out of London a year later, and then no more plans. And so we drove around Europe for the summer and then school started or was about to start. And she said, I want the kids to learn French or Italian because I like those languages. Not because she spoke them, by the way. And we need to live in a ski area. So we ended up in this little teeny village. Our view was Mont Blanc, unbelievable. Um, and we lived on a farm. The problem was that we lived in a 
like in a resort, uh, like a place they rented every holiday. So then every holiday we had to leave because it was, so then we just went and skied all over Europe during the holidays. But um, so yeah, so we lived in a little village in France and skied there and rowing was never on my radar. But the first joke I took was when my stepfather said, yeah, these kids actually need to get an education so they can go to college. And he moved me down to the peninsula um, and put me at Sacred Heart Menlo Park, uh, which was a shock. You, you actually read books every week, not for the year, you know, like we did in Squaw Valley. So it was a whole another world. Um, and my, and B.B. Bryans, who is now the coach at University of Wisconsin, was my novice coach. And she started a team in San Francisco and we would drive up to Lake Merced every day and row. It's now, the team is now Pacific Rowing Club, but at the time it was a combo between Sacred Heart Mercy and Sacred Heart Memo Park, which was San Francisco school. You know, I knew this was going to be a special interview. I had it in my gut because you just, a name you just announced is the, is the most downloaded viewed podcast we've ever had. B.B. Bryant is the He's most. an amazing person and teacher. Oh, and I, I think story. Her yeah, story she's, a great, she's a fabulous person. So, wow. so, so your, your first experience, your first coach was BB Bryan. Yeah. And she was young and she I, was awesome. wild. Like that is like, uh, like uh, now I understand why you stayed in rowing. Like your first experience is that person. You're like, well, I'm bought in. I'm sold. Wow. Well, you know, I wasn't sold. They, they, because I was a skier and a horseback rider, I was really strong and I grew up in the mountains, running up mountains every day, right? Because that's what our coaches used to make us do. And um, and they're like, come out for rowing. You'd be good at it. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And then I got down there. And the first thing we did was like a bench pull test. And I like creamed everybody. And I was like, oh, I think I like this sport. This is a good sport. <laughs> you know, right? So it's all in how you present it. So now what kind of what kind of success were you finding early on at the Sacred Heart, you know, Pacific Rowing? Like how much success did you have? In those well, two or three or four years. Yeah. So BB had come from what was the Oakland Strokes. Um, and so she had come over and started this program in San Francisco, but she had been at Oakland Strokes. And that was back in the US Olympic Festival. I don't know if you if you were I alive. I know I, I well, I mean I know it. <laughs> you might know not it. have been alive for that, but but back in the day, there was the US Olympic Festival, and uh, I tried out for the West Eight. And so I made the bow seat of the, of the junior uh, eight. And so we went to Syracuse, New York. And it was the same year that like Eric Hyden, I don't know if you know Eric Hyden, but he was a speed skater who won like five gold medals at the 1980 Olympics. And so it was 1981 and it was, he was there and all the other national team guys were like, hey, Eric, you should come down and try rowing. And he came out and he, he was obviously really good at it, except he caught a crab and then bent the entire rigger back to the boat, you know? So um but there was quite an experience to be able to spend all that time and then be able to go to the Olympic festival, like all within six months of learning to row. That's I'm, wow. Well, you, you must be a fast learner. Cause uh, I was, I was pretty awful. I think it was uh, a different time. <laughs> time. Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. So you had, that's a wild experience. So like, forget about high school. Like, did you carry on college and row in college at that point? Yeah. So I had been waitlisted at UCLA or, maybe denied possibly. And then I contacted the coach and told him I got that I made this boat and somehow I got accepted at UCLA. So then I actually changed schools um, in July 
Wow. Went to UCLA, and so I rode for uh, four years at UCLA. And what what years were that? What what years were you? Way back in the day, we started with wooden oars and wooden you know wooden boats. Um, 1981. So I started 81, and I rode there through 85, or 80. Yeah, 81 to 85. Wow, wow. And like, was there? That's a wild time to be rowing. I mean, for for women's rowing, wasn't really like exploding yet. You were at the forefront of that, right? You were at the forefront of women's rowing getting big, big, big. Um, was there- And we only like, rode a thousand meters. Oh, right, yes, for right. the first three years that I rode. So it was yes. awesome. You know, a thousand meter race is the way to go, man. Like go for it. It's super fun. So so who was, okay, so who was your varsity head coach in, in, in those times at UCLA? Oh God, you're gonna make me think about that, aren't you? Um, yeah. It was a really nice guy. And then he was, he left and then I think we had four coaches, four head coaches in four years. It was one of those. Wow. You know, so we had a guy from England who was, you know, he he made us go pretty fast. And then um, and then we had, uh, yeah, there were a bunch of coaches. So, so when, did, when did you like fall in love with the sport? You know, you have like horseback riding and skiing. Like at what point were you just really in love with it? Uh, you know, I think I really liked the camaraderie and the fact that you could work really hard and get your friends to work really hard too. And it was just... I don't know. It's just fun. And I love being on the water. I think the water has always been, I grew up near Lake Tahoe. I spent a lot of time out on the lake. So, um, you know, I love being on the water, not as, not as happy in the water, you know, cause it's cold and you get wet and all that, but like on the water is a great place to be. And then what kind of, what kind of success did you find, if any, at UCLA? Did you, did you win? So actually in 1984, we won that, what they called that, I think the collegiate nationals, um, in a, in a four, we beat University of Washington in a four, which was, you know, at that time, like beating University of Washington in anything was unbelievable. Now, granted, if you really think about it now, um, we were probably racing there, but they probably had the varsity and then the JV. And then we were probably sure. racing their three V kids, but Hey, still beat them. So, you know, now, did you, were you good enough to attempt like a national team or Olympic team after the eighties there at 85, 86? You know, I'm not that tall. I'm only five, six. And so, you know, it, it wasn't really probably in the cards, maybe as a lightweight, but I was never really that amazing of uh, nationally as an athlete, but I really did love the, what it took to make a book go fast. Right. Like I, I loved to think about how to make the boat go faster. And I think that's what drew me into coaching. So you get this college degree, you know, your mom's a free spirit. You, it's probably whispering in your head, like go, go ski the yeah, owl. My but mom's a free spirit. My dad worked at IBM for 50 years or 60 or 70 years or whatever it was, <laughs> right? So like there was the, off the opposing sides there. You know, my father's like, you need to get a job. Need to. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I did, I took a job in San Francisco selling computer software. I hated it. I was good at it, but I hated it. So this but is like day, 1985, like 1985, you're selling computer software. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of right at the beginning. It was a data collection software for, um, like for companies to do trials, drug companies and car companies. So it was, it was a data collection. It was sort of the right at the beginning. I mean, it was very simple. Um, 
but my boss called me in his office and he said, I was coaching for Pacific Rowing Club as a volunteer. And he said, you need to figure out your vocation and your avocation. And I said, okay, I'm giving you my two weeks notice. <laughs> so <laughs> I was doing it volunteering, by the way. So it was costing me to coach, but okay. yeah. so that was the end well, of my computer let me, software. Let me get my timeline correct here, please. So you graduate in spring of 85. Well, it took me an extra semester. So actually I graduated, I think spring of 86. I took a year and went to France and rode um, in Grenoble for a semester. Well, I didn't get to do it during rowing, right? Cause I, and then once my rowing was done I couldn't compete anymore cause I ran out of eligibility. Um, I thought it'd be more fun to go overseas for a semester. So I, I went to Grenoble for a semester and in theory studied French, but I think we studied a lot of other things, but I did row with the Grenoble um, rowing uh, team. And that was super fun. You know, we got to go to Lake Agabalette and like go race. And, you know, we went to all these really places you only hear about on, you know, international races. And we were like, just up there messing around. So it was super fun. Super you're, fun. You're, you're, you're fascinating. I love it. So in 1986, I'm like, I'm getting dizzy here trying to figure out your life here. 1986. You graduate, you get some job selling computer software, data collection. You're coaching Pacific Rowing for free, which is so funny, right? It's like, that's what most young coaches are doing. It's volunteer. And this guy says, you need to choose your vocation, your avocation. You're like, yep, I know what I'm doing. That's it. Like, you just gave me the direction. So like late 87, 86, 87. Actually, I, I actually worked for the company for two years. So it was like two, two years. years. I can't say it was right away because I... It did actually have to pay off my car and you know, I had to have a car. So. Of course. All right. So 1988, you have a decision to make. And that is either I'm going to coach or I'm going to do this desk job, sales job that I really don't enjoy. Yeah. You choose coaching. Now, yeah, do you so, so I, I did choose coaching and then I decided I actually had to do something. So uh, I got offered a job. I got offered to go to university of, or for Purdue University to go to Purdue and be a coaching grad assistant. So they're like, we really want you to come coach for us. And I said, great. And they're like, we have to apply to grad school. Will you get in? And I'm like, well, you know, I majored in rowing at UCLA. So possibly the actual acceptance without some help may not happen. So I ended up getting, um, getting into their sports management program at Purdue. And I coached the varsity women there for two years and got my master's. Was Kevin Sauer there at the time that you were? No, Kevin was not there. He had left. No, he was already at Virginia. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. But Kevin and I, you know, someone said, I've known Kevin for so long. And I said, oh yeah, no, well, I've known Kevin since before he got married. So that's how old I am. <laughs> but we're just going to go there. <laughs> wild. This is so wild. Purdue must've been really going after coaches at the time because like I've heard a lot of like a lot of coaches that have made it their career have been through Purdue at one point or another and that's fascinating to me well you know Purdue um they did a great job they took the they took the rowing program put it in the um school or like the rec sports and then rec sports supported it but it's not through the athletic department it's through the department of recreational sports interesting and so then what they did is they hired coaches and you were a grad assistant at, and you could work at the, at the rec sports department. And so they had this whole program going where they could hire people 
and actually, so I got a master's for free and they gave me a stipend. And while I was there, because I was bored, I got my pilot's license. There's not a lot to do at Purdue, by the way, just saying. You have a pilot's license too? Well, I don't fly anymore. It's kind of an expensive hobby, but it was fun. You have a lot of expensive hobbies, horseback <laughs> riding, skiing, and flying. I mean, geez Louise. Yeah, that's a, that's like to me. That's like a bougie lifestyle. I mean, that is hilarious. The three most expensive things that you could do, right there. Boom. So if, you, if you ask my husband, who I've been married to for a long time, he he's like, "So let me get this straight. Why are we paying back? You, you got a free degree, and you got your um, uh, you got a stipend, but you have a student loan from grad school." I'm like, "Oh, that was so I could get my pilot's license." <laughs> so cool. I so, love. It. All right, so. You're, 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 you're with the, the sports management side. You're doing the women's varsity. Um, you're there for two years, I imagine, right? That's like a two-year yeah. program. Um, like, was it then that you realized, like, I'm just going to coach for the rest of my life? Like, it, was it, was it? Well, you know, I thought about doing other things, but then I just kept pulling me back in. So I ended up, I coached at Purdue or for, at uh, UC Davis for a couple of years. And um, I... I ran, I, I went there for two years and then I got married and my husband decided he wanted to go to graduate school. So, um, we had a baby. I think when I was at Purdue, I had my first child. So, um, I think she was four weeks old when we took her to Santa Barbara for a race. <laughs> wow. wow. So, all right. So, so, all right. So you so, got married in the late eighties. Were you married in the late eighties? Uh, early nineties. Early nineties. So like, Cause I was at Purdue for two years. I got married in 92. I started coaching at, at, uh, or I got married in, yeah, married in 92. Baby was born 93. Now is this guy a rower? Is, is your husband a rower? So, actually funny thing. Uh, if you asked him, he'd be like, I'm not a rower, but actually we met when I was rowing, we both went to the Olympic festival together. Now we did not date. We did not date in 1981, but we knew each other. That's how what was we he met. doing. What was, what was his Olympic sport? He was a rower at, at oh, Oakland he strokes. Oh. Yeah, he rode at Oakland strokes, uh, in high school and then went to the Olympic festival. But he's six months younger than me, so he's you know a year behind me in school. So okay, yeah. all right, I'm digging this. So we're, we're, we're <laughs> these. like America is changing. There's a lot of changes going on in America. Um, you're you're back on the West Coast, right? So you're at UC Davis. You left Purdue. You're at UC Davis, and in the back of your head, you're like, well, I'm, this is what I'm doing. I'm pursuing coaching, and I want to go that direction. At what point do you transition to like the club and high school level? Because you would so, think the track is college, but you're not. You're, you'd go a different route. Yeah. Um, in So my husband went to graduate school in, in Chicago um, for two years. So we moved to Chicago for two years. And I actually started the Woodlands Crew, um, which I think is now probably morphed into something else. But um, so I coached at Woodlands High School because the parents there, it was like kind of a convoluted story. They knew that I moved to Chicago. Their son had been on the national team when I was managing the national team. And they're like, hey, you're in Chicago. And I'm like, I, I had a six month old, like I can't coach. And they're like, we'll babysit. So we rode down at uh, Lincoln Park. And so they would just take the baby to the park, you know, to the zoo every day. Wow. And so as some parent would babysit and I would coach and I'm like, all right, well, I, I could use a break for the baby. I'm good. Oh so, um, you know. So we did that. It was super fun. That was a whole experience. And you were and there for we two years? Were there, you were there for two years? For two years, yeah. 
is it is it is it common it is common it's common um after all these people i've interviewed these two or three year stints right you like until you find out really where you want to be there's a lot of jumping around i mean you jumped around a lot in those i did but years. part of that was because my husband wanted to get a uh, a master's he went to uh um northwestern and got a business degree there um so you know so i was sort of you know i was just being a you know when the thing is when i was pregnant and he said he wanted to apply to graduate school and he said northwestern in my brain i was thinking i could live in boston right and then when he actually got in he's like yeah, so we're going to, so Chicago, I'm like, wait, Chicago? Like, wait, that was not at all in my brain, but then it was too late. I couldn't, I couldn't not support him. Of course. Right? I was like, oh yeah, of course. I knew Chicago. I knew Chicago. Yeah, it's great. So. Wow. So, yeah. so, all right. So it, I would, okay. So you're in Chicago for two years. You have this incredible support system from parents watching your first child, right? So oh, yeah, it's great. That, that had to be like, to me, that feels like, high school is the way to go, right? Just stay that route, right? Stay that direction. So now you're talking mid nineties, like that you move back West, right? You move back. To right. So my husband got offered jobs. His, his summer internship was with Harley Davidson. Right. And he's like, so he got offered a full-time job with Harley. And I was like, okay, hold on. You want me to start in York, Pennsylvania? And then our, our ultimate goal is Milwaukee. Like that's our, like, that's it. That's where we're going to end up. So he's like, uh, yeah, so, so anyhow, we ended up moving back out here and, um, uh, which to the weather's a lot better. So oh, I, I was pregnant with my second child when we got here. So then I started just volunteering at Oakland Strokes a couple of days a week, just to sort of get out of the house. Um, but, uh, then that morphed into taking over the varsity women and you know how, you know how those things morph. Oh, of course seem to morph so so all right so let's 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 get this timeline so now we're looking at like this must be 96 to 98 is when you so 94 i think we came back here 92 93 94 95 yeah we came back to san francisco in 95 um yeah because the baby yeah because kelsey was born in 96 so yeah right and west coast west coast rowing has really changed in the last 25 years like really it has really changed. Yes. Yes. I mean, it used to be, you know, when I started at Oakland, we got used boats from Cal, right? Now I think we have better equipment than most of the colleges as a as a junior program. You know, it's it's a different, it's a different beast. Okay. So now so you have four children, is that correct? I have four, yes. You have four children. So in this period of time, your husband gets his degree, his, his, you know, his business degree, Northwestern, which is a fantastic school. You morph into this running the program um, at Oakland Strokes. Are all four kids born in that, like in that period of time when you're at Oakland? Like, like well, two um, or four, but. Yeah, right. My first family. two were already born. And then my second, my son, my third, my son was born while I was volunteering. And then my youngest was, you know, the, oh, I guess four is a good number, child, you know, so um, we were like, huh, cool, so she was also born when I was at Oakland, yeah. yeah but so, so you don't, you never had this, like, drive or goal, or, like, I haven't heard you say, I want to be the executive director, I want to run this program, it just, it just happened, is that, is that correct? Yeah, I think so, you know, I think it became that, 
towards the end of my time at Oakland, I did really want to be the executive director because, um, because I felt like there were things we could do um, better and, and, and develop the program a little bit more if we had a better structure at Oakland. Um, so then they decided to hire an executive director and they didn't hire me. So there you go. <laughs> you were you were you were at at Oakland for a long time, twenty one years. That's a long. I mean, that's a long time to be at at one at one program. Um, yes, it was a long time, and it was you know it was really good. I think the biggest, um, like I yeah, I never thought I'd go anywhere else. Actually. Wow. I mean, it's, you didn't you didn't necessarily leave on bad terms, right? I mean, you just you just it was a natural progression in your career. Um, no, they eliminated my job. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah it's all right. Yeah. And it was, it was the head women's coach. Was that the job that you had for 21? For no, no, I was actually the novice coach. I coached novices for almost, I only coached varsity for two years. And then we hired Derek and I was like, oh, thank God. Cause you know, I have all these little kids at home. Like I think varsity takes a lot more just taking a novice program and, and making it great in a year is like, I can do t- every day it's easy but to actually make a varsity those small changes are a lot more work you know what I mean so when Derek came in I took over the novices and he did a phenomenal job with the varsity and that was awesome so I mean I I was I was really lucky I worked with Al Acosta to start at Oakland right he was at Oakland he and I sort of I was in charge of the women he was in charge of the men then he went to Stanford and that's when Derek came in as the varsity women's coach which was great and then I moved to the novice women's coach, and then I stayed there the whole time. But now, so that that's it was. You just gave me a perfect transition to my question, but I, I need to know more about NorCal before we get into that. So, you this job pops up, right? This job at in NorCal, like how rowing is such a small weird, weird world. So it, it like it, it's almost like I'm sure it was like an easy move for you, and people were trying to pull you in that direction, but. Like when and how did you become the executive director of the program you're at now? Well, when I left Oakland or when Oakland departed, <laughs> had me leave, um, I uh, I actually consciously didn't want to take a job in the Bay Area because one of the things that I can't stand is I can't stand when a coach moves next door and all the kids go with them. And oh, I sure. and I, I just have I just have this moral dilemma about it. I don't think it's right. Um, because I believe that you should, the program is more important than the coach. So even though I would have done that, I, the thought was there instead, I took a job at Newport beach and spent a year commuting. It just happened to be my youngest had gone to college. My husband plays a lot of jazz music in the evenings. And I'm like, Hey, I could give you more time to play jazz if I commute to Newport. So I flew down every Tuesday and flew back on Saturdays most of the time and you know I gotta tell you after 27 years of marriage everyone should date their husband or spouse for a year like it's the best best thing for a marriage ever you know it was awesome we I was like wow I really like you you're fun I don't you know you come home hold on hold on pump the brakes pump the brakes brakes. (laughs) you flew down every week yeah like from Tuesday to Sunday Tuesday is Saturday every week. I mean, if you buy your tickets in advance, it's only like, it's cheap. You know, probably cost me less. I probably pay more in gas now 
Where the hell were you staying? What were you doing? Oh, well, that was where it all was good. My mom, my mom was always crazy her whole life. So um, she had a really good friend. She grew up in Chicago, but, um, but had a really good friend that she had met in middle school while she was going to middle school in um, Palm Springs, which is a long story, but we don't need to get into that. And so she happens to live literally 10 minute walk up the uh, I don't know if you've been to Newport Aquatic Center. I have, I have. Yeah, so yeah. up the hill there, she lives at the top of that hill, not looking out at the water, but just somewhere at the top of that hill. So I literally lived with her, this 84-year-old woman. And you know what I learned about it is everyone should have a wife. Because I was like, oh, wait, I get this. This is why people want a wife. Like I come home, my, my sheets have been changed. My laundry's done. <laughs> dinner's ready. I'm like, this is awesome. I want to live with you forever. So um Anyhow, it was a great All right, so all right, so everyone tuning in here, the number one advice right now is date your spouse. At some point in your life, date your spouse and marry a wife. Get a wife. Doesn't matter. Get a wife. Doesn't matter women. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Anybody. My my brother's the best wife. Like I, you know, he's awesome. Everything. So this is you, you're you're a trip. This is hilarious. So what what about your children? Your children were older at this point, right? When you were doing this? Yeah, my youngest had just started college. Okay. Yeah. So, that, she was so yeah, because you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't leave your, you know, 10-year-old to do that every week. You would you would never do that. No, no. My my youngest, I, I did start a program for summers that I used to do, and I may start back up after COVID, but I used to take kids to Europe to do language and rowing. We went to Spain every summer. And as my husband said, you know, you don't make any money doing this. And I'm like, yeah, but I go to Europe every summer. So, you know, and I take the youngest with me because, of course, I didn't have any daycare for her. So my husband, one year I looked at her, I'm like, do you want to go to Burbank and ride horses with my friend? Or do you want to come to Europe with me? And she goes, "Uh, don't take this the wrong way. I've been to Europe a lot. (laughs) I'd rather go to Burbank. And I was like, I don't think anyone wants to go to Burbank, just so we're clear, you know. I yeah. love you. You got you got the style, man. I like this. So, all right. So, when did you snag this job at NorCal? Like, when did that become your? So that thing? about halfway through when I was at Newport, the job sort of came available, and I was like, I don't know if I, I don't really want that job. And then someone's like, I got a call. I think I think Sheila Toll, as you know, referee Sheila Toll. She's like, Why are you not applying for this job? And I'm like, I don't know if I want the job. And she's like for God's sakes, of course you want the job. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll apply. So I did apply and then I was lucky and I got it. It's, it's been phenomenal. It's been what, what year was that? What year was that? Uh, right before the pandemic. So 2019. So I started the fall of 2019. Boy, and nobody predicted what would have happened. So that sucks. I mean, you're first. No, we had a lot of plans. Yeah, it was a, it was a hard first year. That's a really hard first year. First year. <laughs> but it was fun. So fall, fall of 2019, six months later, you guys were shut down. You're shut down. We did, but we got back on the water pretty fast um, because, uh, you know, we, we don't have a boathouse, right? We were pretty lucky in some ways. Like you always think, oh, we don't have a boathouse. Our life sucks. But then we didn't have a boathouse. So there's no indoor. Everything was outdoor. So we could go out in small boats and we, we potted the kids. You know, so we oh, yeah, yeah, kids yeah, yeah, that were already yeah, yeah. hanging out together, put them in quads and parents could pick the boats. So it was, it's been a hard transition coming out of COVID because it felt like the parents had a lot of say, the kids had a lot of say of what boats they were in. And now they don't. <laughs> so so well, wasn't, wasn't like, um, 
so many teams from California couldn't race, they couldn't compete, right? There was like yeah. more restrictions than in California than anywhere else. Correct. So really at that time, you potted them up, you were rowing, you were enjoying yourself and like you didn't lose anybody. Did you lose a lot of kids because of that? Lack no, we actually gave, we actually, our program was pretty solid. Um, we gained a lot of kids because it was one of the only sports happening. It was one of the only things to do. Right. So we actually had to divide the team into two groups where we had a morning group and an afternoon group because oh, we couldn't, no. well, obviously we couldn't accommodate everybody just in the afternoons and small you, boats. Now you have, now we're not going to, I don't want to know. I do want to know, but we're not going to record it here. Like you have plans as, a, as an executive director, you have a vision yeah. of what a rowing program should be. And, and you have that over 30 something years of a, of a career here. Yes. And it's a hard thing to, uh, to teach others to get the buy-in's hard, you know. I, is it? Is it? So, man, you're you're preaching to the choir here because I I don't know if you know much about me, but I have a lot of ideas, right? And every time I try to introduce something new to the sport, it takes over a year of consistency before the sport understands it, yeah. and then another year of them accepting it or declining it. And that's what I've learned in my in my career here. Uh, does that reign true for you? Do you think that's an accurate statement? I think it's totally accurate. Yeah, you have to prove it, but first you have to convince them. And there's so much that goes into, I mean, rowers in general, you know, for example, let me use this as an example. This summer, we did a little bit of an exchange with Malaga, a team in Spain. And we sent some kids over there and they sent some kids over here, which is awesome. And, um, I couldn't go because I'd already promised to take my 84 year old mother back to Europe for the summer. Wow. So I called Garrett Pickard down at Newport and I'm like, Hey, Garrett, why don't you go to Malaga? He's wait, hold on. You're going to pay for me to go to Malaga for three weeks. Yeah, I'm in. So he went and he had always been like, ah, coastal rowing, coastal rowing, coastal rowing. It's horrible. Then he went to Malaga and he comes back because coastal rowing is a thing. Beach sprints are the thing. You were right. And I'm like, Cole, hold on. Can I get that on video and on and on a recorder? I don't want it, the whole thing. So he's like, this is so fun. I mean, we had the best time. And I'm like, yeah, like it's not just about flat water rowing. Like you can do this stuff and have a great time and still be great athletes and have, but make it more fun. Like, and this is why I think like, and, and I don't, I don't think poorly of racing camps in the summer. But what I do think is that kids should have some fun rowing in the summer because I think they need a break from constantly being tested. You know, um, it's the same reason why we don't go to school 24 hours a day, 365, right? It's because they need a break. They need to clear their minds. And so when we go to Europe, we do, we do a rowing tour with a German team where we row down a river, right? And so every night you're in a different town and they row 60 to 70 kilometers a day. It's not like they're not doing something, Right but they're just cruising down a river and, and they come back like so excited about rowing and they didn't do the, the competitive camp, but it doesn't mean that they didn't learn stuff and that they didn't changes and they're not better people, you know? So I feel like there's a lot of avenues to go down. Yeah. yeah you're, you're getting me like, I, Sorry, I, I got, I, you make me want to run through a wall, by the way, like, <laughs> I'm ready to run through a wall. All right. So, you know, this, this conversation really has, has morphed into something that I wasn't expecting. So let me ask you this. You coached college at, at two different places, right? So Purdue and UC Davis. You've also probably assisted hundreds of kids to get recruited, right? To go to college. Hundreds. Correct. Yeah. The, the question, okay, so 
it doesn't necessarily have, you don't necessarily have to have the competitive summer experience to try to get to college. Your building, your concept, your idea is building a love for the sport forever, right? And you see a lot of burnout. So is, is, is that sort of part of your vision as an executive director is to build the love of the sport and the enjoyment of it more so than the competitiveness? Well, I think you can do both, right? So like, I, I don't get me wrong, I hate to lose. Like, I'm not gonna say that I like to lose, right? But when I was a novice coach, one of the reasons why Oakland Strokes became 220 athletes was because, was because we would have, I would have 60 novice girls that came back loving the sport. And I think that there's different levels at which kids want to compete. There's those kids that want to go win a national championship, go row for Stanford or, or Texas, right? They want to go in that top program. They want to be those top kids. And I think there's a place for them. And then there's those kids that are there because their best friend's there. And they still want to be there. They want to row every day and they have fun. And I still think that you can have those kids on the team and make it a good place for them without sacrificing your top end, right? Because I think you can have both. I, I, I think a lot of coaches think that, oh my God, that kid isn't committed. Like they missed practice once this month. And you're just like, well, everyone's in it for a different reason. They're not going to be in the top boat if they're missing practice. So who cares if they miss practice? You know, if, if I was in the D boat and my mom said, hey, do you want to go to, you know, Africa for two weeks or go to practice? I'd be like, I'm in Africa, right? And they shouldn't be faulted for that. They're, they're not going anywhere else. They're still going to be in the D boat. So why would you not go to Africa, right? But you should welcome them back and they should have a good experience. Uh -huh. But I think one of the things about getting kids to love the sport and getting kids to stick around and work hard is that even when kids quit, they have to say, like if you talk to a parent, they're like, oh yeah, my kid used to row for you and they quit. And then you go, they go, but they had a great experience because parents are your word of mouth. Parents are your biggest billboard, right? And so the kid who quits, if they leave saying, I had a great time, it's just not for me. You should be like, awesome. Make sure you tell everyone you had a great time, right? That's okay. You should quit because it's not for you. That's okay. But now they went back and they are talking to someone and they're like, oh, my kid just quit basketball, but they're six for two. And they're like, oh my God, my kid had a great time at, Oak, at this team. Go do it, right? Even though my kid doesn't do it, you should do it because they really liked it. And so I feel like every kid on the team needs to have a good experience. And so you have to train your coaches that everyone's there for a different reason. And everyone's there um, for, you know, there's those kids that just are on the bubble of the different groups, right? And that's always a bummer those kids are hard, but you should be giving them something. They should feel value and they should be valued. Don't you think so many uh, teams forget that? I think everyone forgets it at some point. Like I think even I who preach it every day forget it sometimes. So I think it's the hardest thing to remember and to do on a daily basis. So give me, give me the Beth Anderson top five things to do or train for, for your novice squad. Like what are the things that the coaches should focus on and maybe yeah. even top three, whatever you can come up with. So for, for novices. Um, okay. So I think that speed comes, you're trying to go fast at your state championships or at nationals, right? So you're yeah. not trying to go fast. Um, 
in the fall. And I think one of the biggest things, and I learned this over the years, like I remember Derek Burns being like, seriously, you're a minute behind Marin. Like you think you're going to make that up in the spring. And I'm just like, yeah, but it's the fall. Like we're just learning. And, you know, and we could come back and, and be right there. But I think the reason is because you have to focus on the right things. It's so hard to break a bad habit, right? It's so hard to break a bad habit that's been ingrained, but it's so easy just to do it right the first time and take your time. So one of my, one of the things I preach is do it right. Don't worry about speed or rate. You know, if we would race in, in the spring at, we did the stupid race, or stupid race, we did a race the end of February, like no one else in the world can do a race the end of February, right? So we do this race up here and, and I'd be sitting there on the side and my boat would be getting fifth or something. And I'd be like, all right, we can beat all those teams in about five weeks. We're good because we're at a 26 and they're at a 36. And I'm like, they have nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. Like we got all the upside, you know, we're rowing well, they're doing the right thing. They've got power per stroke. We got this. So it's seeing what you're trying to do and it's making sure you focus on those basics because with novices and with, and now obviously we're not talking novices as much as you 15, you 16. Um, but still teaching them the right thing. Don't wait till the end to get the the details because the details are what allow you to hit that top speed in the end. Right. Yeah. Sure. I can go out there and row hard and row badly and we could probably win head of the American every year, but that's not my goal. My goal is to win the state championships. So, yeah. so I like, I like the patience aspect of that. And I, and you say, make it enjoyable for the athletes. And you said, focus on the parents, right? Cause they're your billboard. Um, yeah. how much time as the head novice coach, are you spending talking to the parents? Like how much is that actually happening? Um, more than you'd ever want to, <laughs> I think, you know, one of the things I learned coming out of the pandemic <clears throat> is, you know, we had a team of kids that had never been to our state championships. Like we had a handful of kids that even had ever even really been to a race. And so reteaching because because you race every year. And so the parents teach the other parents, but now you have no parents that know anything. And so you had to get back to basics and go, oh, right. They don't know they're responsible for this. Or they don't know how we travel. They don't know we sleep four to a room. Like all those things that you just take for granted because you've been doing it for whatever, 30 years, you have to now teach parents. And so it was a great eye-opener for me to just sort of go back to the basics and start being like, oh, I have to teach them. I have to teach the coaches, right? Because during the pandemic, we didn't travel with chaperones because we went to Oklahoma once, right? And, you know, there were a lot of things that were a lot different and we didn't take chaperones because obviously because of COVID and, you know, it's, it's easier just to sometimes not have them. Um, and so teaching them what is a chaperone and what is your job versus a chaperone's job? You know, because the coaches felt like they were the chaperones and you're like, no, 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 <laughs> your job is to be a coach. <laughs> so it was, it was really good to have that eye opening stuff to rethink all the stuff. Also let you start from scratch. Right. All the bad habits you can get rid of. I mean, look, you know, it's funny. That, yeah, I like that you're you're a glass full kind of person um, because you took that pandemic and, and you put a positive on them and you realize that you could start over. You could re re-engineer and rebuild the direction of where you want to head, you know, as a coach and as a, as someone who's running a program, I want to, I want to dive in a little bit more on the experience, the summer experience and 
doing it for fun, not not to win. So like we're we're one day off from the U.S. women's and men's junior national team doing very well over yeah. Italy. They're amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like Mike, right. Coach Mike Wallen, women's eight. Incredible. Yeah. The men's eight, the men's eight, that was a hell of a race, right? Yeah. I mean, those yeah. guys only lost by like a length, a little bit over a length of, uh, of water, um, holding off, you know, the those others. Those, I forget who Italy and some others are holding them off um, for bronze. So, but that's, that's like the top 1% of the juniors in this country, right? So, but you really like focusing on another group. Right, but I think I think those kids who are that driven and are the, you know, those kids should go to the national team. Like, I don't think we should prevent those kids from going to the national team. But I think all the other kids, you know, like to go to a four day camp, racing camp, what are you really learning out of that? Like these kids should have an experience that just brings them back to the love of the sport because that's why they do it. That's why they work hard. That's why they show up for practice. So when we travel, we travel to, I mean, I've done, I've done exchanges to Spain. We, we went to Sevilla. I don't know if you've ever been to Sevilla, but oh. they have a national training center there. And we stay at the training center and we row twice a day out of the training center. Is that the, is that the one with the hotel on the water there? On, right there. Yeah. My, my, my best friend in the world, Joe DeLeo is like a major part of that. Um, oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. 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 No, I know. I know the camp and I think he's getting married there. Uh, I'm waiting for my invitation, Joe, but yeah, they're getting married there. Uh, I, I know, I know the area. I know what you're talking about. That is gorgeous. That place. Is yeah. Gorgeous. So we did camps there for about four or five years and just every summer we had such a good time and um, the kids would come back and be like, that just changed. I mean, we didn't race, but we, we learned, we just sculled and we just learned a lot. And then also learned Spanish, right? We, we got Spanish lessons and we did, we went and tasted all the tapas and we did all that kind of fun stuff. And, um, and that's fun. And then now we're doing it one with Malaga, which is more of a real exchange where our rowers go to them and then their rowers come to us in the summer. So that's, I think a better language exchange and sort of cultural exchange because they're really living with the families and getting such a great experience um and so you know I, I got well I don't think that those top kids necessarily the ones that should go on the exchange I think it's all the other kids you know like well, I think it's all those kids that can you you it's probably I mean I, I, it's starting to lose my, leave my memory because I, I am training and I am racing and you know that when a child, high school kid, even college, gets to the last race of the summer or the spring, there's a burnout phase. And you're like, and, 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 I, and I, I think I know this percent, I'm pretty close. You tell me if I'm wrong, but 80% of kids are like, I'm never doing this again. And then two months later, like, okay, I'm ready to get back, right? And if you're one of those 80% kids that say, I don't wanna do this, and you sort of do a really competitive training summer, like you might be burnt out mentally and that next year gets hurt. It hurts. Like I, I did that transitioning from freshman to sophomore in college and it was my worst year ever. Um, and then I took time and I said, I enjoy the sport again. Um, so I really like your take on finding something for the love of the sport, right? Because it'll make your next year experience that much better and even that much more competitive. Yeah, and I, I do think that the kids I don't even know how to say it, but I think they have to, they need a break. Doesn't mean they don't need to work out. That's not even it, right? Yeah, it's not sure. about the working outside, but they need to just find the 
just just be happy and enjoy and not feel like they're always being so I feel like in school they're always being right they're always being judged they're always being judged at rowing like I'm making that boat I'm not making that boat I'm did well in the year I didn't do well I did a good workout I did you know like it's they're I feel like these kids are always being judged in all parts of their life and I feel like they need a break from that and sometimes they need to just reinvent themselves you know like sometimes you see kids come back from a summer of doing nothing and suddenly they're just a whole different kid you know, and so it's okay to like have that time to reinvent yourself and say, this is now what I want to do. But if you never get a chance to think about it, I don't know if you ever really get to make that change, you know? So, so as, as this, as the person that's running the executive director, you know, one of my lead in questions, we talked about what it takes to hire the right coach. Like, what are you looking for in a novice coach? Like, what are you looking and, and how much time are you dedicating as the leader of the team to develop that coach? Um, my goal every year is to develop the coaches. I don't, I, I would doubt my success in that at this point, but I, I do believe that my intentions are good on it and I'm trying and still continuing to try. Um, because I think everyone has a different style of coaching. I think some styles can be, some styles, like everybody just has to develop their own style, but that doesn't mean that, that we can't make them better, more efficient technical coaches, more efficient, at how to find speed, more efficient at getting on and off the water. Like, I think there's so much to do with coaching that maybe isn't just about the actual teaching, but I do think that teaching is the most important part. Like you have to have coaches that want to be teachers and teach what we're trying to, like, you know, I, there's one thing I can't stand and I can't stand when a coach gets off the water and says, that kid just doesn't get it. I'm like, well, you didn't teach him, right? So like that kid didn't get it because you didn't teach him right. So that kid didn't get it. You should be taking that kid to the erg or standing and talking to them, looking at video, like you should be helping them, not discounting them, right? So I believe every kid is, is should be, have that attention by every coach, right? They should be valued, whether you're, it doesn't matter what boat you're in, right? A coach should care how, if you're progressing, you know? And if, if you care if they're progressing, the kid starts caring if they progress. You know, and so I think it just, it goes, you know, I love seeing those kids who, who you were like, look, you wrote beautifully. You are so weak. You know, if you just sat, if you just went and lifted weights all summer, you'd come back rocking it. And they just, and they take that and they go and they join some gym and take a class all summer and they come back and they're just like, holy crap, you are like rocking it. Right. So that's like what you want. You want those kids to be like, I'm going to go like make this change. You know, so I, I do think that um, teaching the coaches, like the most important thing you can teach a coach is to find value in the rowers and make them feel valued. I, like if you teach them nothing else, I think that's what it allows you to maintain an athletes on your team. I, I'm a I'm a big believer in every kid needs a champion. And I don't think that they these kids get them get them enough at home or they get them enough at, at that anywhere. And, and when I was coaching, I was like their biggest cheerleader, like on the planet. I didn't care how good they were. I was just, I was always applauding and energizing. I have three kids myself. And when you, when you just give them even an ounce of attention, you see, a, a, like I'm like getting chills thinking like that you see a, a completely different person. Um, yeah. And I know a lot of, I know you're right, man. It's so funny. I think about all the coaches that I've crossed paths with and know, and the ones that are best that I've ever had were the ones that were my like my cheerleader, 
my champion, my, like they believed in me no matter what. And they found something that I loved and believed in me. And it's in, in today's world, it's really hard to find people like that to coach these young athletes. Um, I think Al Acosta said it the best, you know, I, when he was coaching with me, his, he had these boys and I'm like, oh, so, so you, uh, I don't know, we were talking about results and he goes, yeah, they beat us. But he goes, if we just get a little faster every day, just a little bit, then we're going to catch up. Right. So like, it was not, it was like, we got to get faster. It wasn't like this great, you know, and I love, like, I love the way Al Acosta is. I don't know if you know Al much, but he's the, you know, the Cal women's coach and he's just this calm, you know, doesn't really get riled just, but is a champion for his rowers and, and teaches the kids and is, you know, just everyone who rows for him, top boat, bottom boat loves him. And, you know, to me, that's, that's it. Beth Anderson, I have had so much fun talking to you today. I uh, I learned I learned a great deal uh, from you, and your story is like I take a lot of notes, and uh, your story is one that I probably will never forget. <laughs> I I think you're a trip. Now, what's what's last thing here? What's on the horizon for NorCal Crew? Like, what are you hoping for to achieve, or what are what are some of your goals? for that program over the next couple of years? I mean, we did pretty well this year. Like we won the U15 men's Cox quad at, at youth nationals, which, you know, I, I don't know if you've seen U15 boys, like their unis like hang on them, you know, and their little legs are poking yeah. out and you're like, oh, oh yeah, you fill those things out. Um, so they're adorable. And the U16 boys won the eight, which was great. And so I think our goal is to sort of develop, you know, push from the bottom and try to develop everybody as we go up. Um, you know, we qualified six boats to go back there and we took six and everybody, um, I think everybody made the semis or better, which is a huge, right? So, um, so we're just trying to make, make small changes and make it, make it good, make it fun. You know, so it, it's, there's a lot of changes. There's a lot of things happening. And, um, you know, the, the, the waterway we were on, we have Stanford, we have Redwood Scholars, um, we have a bunch of masters rowers. It can be like Interstate 880 at low tide because, you know, we have a, we also have a 10 foot tide range. So you go from water to no water, to water to no water, which is keeps things entertaining. But I think our goal is just to develop, get a little faster and make it so that you just want to be consistently in the mix, right? You're not always going to win, but the goal is to be in the mix. You can't win if you're not in the mix. Man, well, you know what? There's very, I've done 103 of these and I've not had a lot of people that make me want to run through a wall. And uh, Beth, I've had a great time. Uh, anyone tuning in and listening to this or watching this here on, on YouTube, uh, I hope you learned something here. I hope you learn how important it is to focus on the athlete, give them a great experience. You gotta be a great teacher to run a program. And, 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 and it's important to build from the bottom up. Uh, this was episode 103. We have a lot more coming this fall. And we're gonna continue the trend talking to high school coaches, club level coaches, and hopefully you'll be pulling out some, some bits and pieces of the best things here to help grow your program. Beth, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. All right, everyone, tuning in more next week. See you later.